know this shit sound like two in the morning, Bowser's castle and shit. Welcome back, folks, to another edition of Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm your host, Anthony Tyler, and I have some powerhouses with me today. If I wasn't already friends with them, I might almost be intimidated. These guys are veterans. They've been, they've talked to so many different people. um, It'd probably make your head spin. I can't even remember how long I got, uh, before I ask questions, I have Miguel Connor and um, his cohort Vance. Vance, what is your last name, buddy? I forgot to ask. I Sachi. Forget. Sachi. That's right. I think it's here in the in the the Skype call. Look at me. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so thank you so much for uh, for coming on, gentlemen. Um, you guys are um, Miguel. You're the host, and Vance, uh, the the sound guy, co-host of Aeon bite gnostic radio how long have you guys been on air for or like been broadcasting uh, good question i think full-time if you would probably end of 2018 i think vance was already co-hosting there i think but just sort of part-time seasonal whenever probably a lot of a long time 2006 or 7 way before the golden age of podcasting yeah yeah see that's why i asked because I knew you guys had been around the block for quite a while and you've seen, uh, yeah, you, you've seen a lot of transitions. Um, and, um, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Like I definitely, we're going to talk about horror, happy Halloween to everybody. Um, don't, don't shy away. If most of you listening to this are not listening to it on Halloween, but it will be released, um, on that day. So, and, uh, you know, the, for the last, two Halloweens. This will be the third one. Um, the three of us have done some sort of conversation. The last one was when I released my book hunt manual. I went on and bite. Um, and then before that we had a Clive Barker sort of themed episode. And that was a lot of fun. We got to talk about Hellraiser. Hey, real quick. Have you guys seen the new Hellraiser yet? I haven't. I have, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, I have, I have things to say, but go ahead. It was it was disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Well, go ahead. I want to say it's almost like this. These new screenwriters or directors have no concept of the occult or metaphysics. And I'm not saying and I'm talking about no concept. They want to do these sort of secular horror paradoxes that just don't work and that's the problem with this hellraiser i know they try to make it about addiction and that was kind of cool but it just doesn't have those esoteric dimensions that the first well two or three hellraisers had and that's what uh that's what is lacking a soul an, an occult soul is what was lacking plus the new hellraiser uh, she sucked i hate to say <laughs> it and not because she was a woman because she couldn't act she just couldn't act. Yeah, like at best, it was a fun display of some of the old, uh, like uh, special effects, the Hellraiser, Tro- you know, yeah, and tropes. Yeah. yeah, and that's pretty much it. Um, I, I, I did like the, um, um, the weird twist with, uh, with that eclectic billionaire and what he got from the Cenobites. That was pretty cool. But um, other than that, that, even that wasn't a good enough payoff. There was so much Michael Myers walking in that movie without any payoff. You know what I mean? (laughs) But I digress. Um, um, So 
I think to set the stage a little bit. Um, so we've talked about Gnosticism a bit on this show and, uh, but, and, and I don't want to go through, you know, the same like old elevator pitch um, of like, you guys explain what Gnosticism is, but you know, with, with the twist in the context of just sheer cosmic existential horror, I would like to hear a little bit of, uh, of both of you um, uh, set the stage for the listener and, you know, because on top of that, I will say that the, the reason Gnosticism has always fascinated me so much is because in a way, you know, this might be, uh, this is most certainly reductionist, but it is one of the only spiritual philosophical traditions I know of that really ta- like just completely head on tackles existential and cosmic horror um, as a, like a basic premise, not just as some sort of offshoot um and it, it really tries to grab the devil by the horns and it's all it's always fascinated me yeah i think you nailed it right there uh gnosticism is certainly <clears throat> cosmic horror and i know there was a a blogger who nailed it pretty well too it said uh most religions ask how does evil come into the world gnosticism asks, how does good come into the world now this doesn't mean that the world is necessarily evil but that that change in mentality you going from lord of the rings to hellraiser kind of you know studio set mm-hmm. kind of gets you in a different mode in a, a very more intense powerful mode about how you're going to approach your spirituality life urgency and all that and yeah, of course, as you mentioned, Gnosticism, they were the existentialists before existentialism. We we are cast down into this world and we our minds have been erased and we have to kind of find out who we are and find out our purpose through this simulation and brainwashing. And at the same time, you can bring in the Lovecraft where we are controlled by these uh, kind of cosmic horrors, machine-like creatures who have supreme power and simply feed on us carelessly and sort of run the stars and run fate run our dreams and uh we have to find it's almost uh an overwhelming impossible mission of us little humans to be able to defeat these uh these powerful entities but we can wake up and ignite this divine spark which allow us to uh uh, past these beings and make contact with hopefully a a higher form of intelligence and these uh these uh teachings are brought down by these smugglers who come into this uh this evil world like jesus or buddha or zoroaster or mary magdalene who can uh, provide these red pills where we wake up and do these uh these elaborate ceremonies, these uh, sort of these, uh, yeah, very elaborate ceremonies, altered states of mind that cause altered states of mind. They're very shamanistic. So Gnosticism, as scholars have said, it's it's very primordial. It goes to very like first temple Hebrew or even uh, ancient Greek shamanism, maybe even earlier where it it is about going into the spirit world definitely uh ancient egypt going into the spirit world and taking these flights to be able to avoid uh, you know the egyptians had to avoid apophis the giant snake the gnostics had to avoid these uh these archons that was their lovecraft villain if you would and yeah it definitely toys with nihilism because 
the game is the destruction of who you think you are and the transformation into something completely different and ultimately alien than who you were. And uh, it's certainly pessimistic, uh, it, the the whole outlook on the world, although I'd say pessimism is simply realism, if you're honest with yourself. So, yeah, it's <laughs> got that great overlay of, uh, of these genres, and it, uh, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And, maybe, of course, Vance can speak more to it if he wants. Well, yeah, first my sidekick answer, what he said. <laughs> now, now my answer. Well, you know, um, Gnosticism... Um, is actually um, uh, like traditional religion in a sense, because traditional re religion is a horror show too, if you really look at it, with the devil and his angels and people burning in hell and all this other stuff. I mean, you know, that's really where a lot of this horror stuff came from. Mm -hmm. But Gnosticism breaks out of the generic devil mode, you know, like the devil and, you know, his fallen angels. You know, you never really hear about much about about their personalities, but Gnosticism is a little more detailed. You know, it looks because it wants to know that, you know, the, the anatomy of things, it looks into things a little more deeply. And so the horror genre does just that. It looks into, you know, the different faces of, of the shadows. We, because it's, it wants to see the truth. It doesn't want to just shove sweep things under the rug. So that's that's kind of the way I see it. Um, and you know, because I I know the the gist, but I think you guys could inform me even better because it is a bit of a tangled web, and sometimes it depends a lot like Egyptology, uh, who you ask. Um, but what are the origins of Gnosticism? Because if like the standard textbook definition. Um, which is very reductionist, says that it was sort of an offshoot cult that came out of Christianity as like an answer, a rebellious answer to Christianity. But um, at the very least, it seems to have, uh, um, you know, extended much further beyond Christianity. <laughs> Ask us a hard question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right to the root of it. Yeah, I have a sort of a, a working model, uh, and that is uh, – it's and that's definitely it's advocated by certain scholars like April DeConnick, uh, and that is that it began with dissatisfied Hellenistic Jews, and these Jews, I mean, you can call maybe call them Hebrews, they were against the Second Temple Judaism. They were carrying these this, as I mentioned, this ancient First Temple holistic. Uh, uh, type of religion, more shamanistic, what Solomon was worshiping in the first temple where he had designs of Asherah and all that. It was, a, a more, again, a more magical, a more uh, nature-oriented or at least balanced type of religion. And this is, uh, this is advocated by scholars like James McGrath or even scholars like uh, Margaret Barker, who's uh, considered, when it comes to First Temple Judaism or Hebrew, the leading expert in history. Even she says the Gnostics, when you look at their, their designs of archons and aeons, it's very much like these ancient Hebrews, how they saw the cosmos, except they talk about angels and maybe some demons. Uh, and they were, they were, of course, on the margins of what was becoming normative Judaism. They went, either went or were already in, in Alexandria. And they started around the, in the Greco-Roman times, they started interacting with uh, 
with a, with Egyptian priests because the Osiris mysteries were starting to die off, other religions were rising, but this ancient mysticism needed to be kept alive, and these priests also needed to eat, right? So they, I'm sure they charged. They were like, you know, gurus. They started training these Jews and also these pagans on one side, which became the Hermeticists, on this ancient Egyptian lore, the lore of Thoth and Hermes and the, the mysteries of Osiris. And they basically handed the baton to them, and they became what you might call the Christian Gnostics and the Hermeticists. So it's almost, when people say what's earlier, what's later, it's almost like it's a, uh, I don't know, it's a red herring, because uh, this lore that the Gnostics were learning, these astral flights and this um, these magic words, all that stuff, this is hundreds, thousands of years old. But they were simply passed on to these individuals who then carried it. So Gnosticism is new and ancient at the same time because it's something that never ended. It just got passed on by these dissatisfied pagans, these dissatisfied Jews who were tired of this Roman world, the corruption of uh, Jerusalem, and they were they were just looking for avenues and something that matched the ancient lore of Ashira and Anat and other deities is a very primordial religion. So I would say that's a, a good model. Like any model, there's arguments against, there's weaknesses, but at this point, I think that's the best model. Wow. <laughs> very succinct. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that listeners will, will have a hard time finding um, a whole lot of that discussion in a lot of other places. Um, some pretty esoteric shit there. Now, um, what is a? Uh, um, isn't that your podcast? Esoteric shit. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. With uh, with as much horror as we can, we can get in there too. Oh, <laughs> which is uh, just why these Halloween specials. I've done uh, I've mentioned Halloween in the last three episodes, but I mean, if if any listeners listening to this show already, they're not going to uh, be shied away from uh, from the seasonal specificity of all that. But um, uh, what do you? What does it mean? Um, like, I don't know, it sounds kind of cliche, but genuinely, because this show, I'm always emphasize what this all means on a practical level, like on a human level, what has this done for both of you, you know, as example, but so what does like Gnosticism mean on a real human level in today's world? Why is this still relevant? Well, I got it. go first. I'm going to listen. <laughs> yeah, uh, to me, you know, it it resonates with me because I'm more of an individualist than a collectivist. And uh, if there's any distinction between Gnosticism and traditional uh, religions, it's uh, Gnosticism emphasizes the self journey, the looking inward, and um, as opposed to you know, not that you know, you'd be against you know helping others and whatever, or even joining organizations that helped others if you wanted. But it means it's kind of salvation through inner knowledge as opposed to salvation toward just hooking yourself up through, you know, an external force. In fact, I think traditionally 
that's kind of uh, if you go back far enough in the the ancient Jews, you know, um, which are purported to be the predecessors, you know, of the Gnostics, um, their salvation was saving the race rather than themselves. I think, in other words, if if they didn't do what they needed to do and do their sacrifices and heave waverings and all, you know, heave offerings and wave offerings, you know, uh, Jehovah would uh, smite them and make them lose all the wars and so forth. Right? If you can believe the Old Testament. But um, uh, in the case of the Gnostics, you know, they, they broke away from that. In fact, Christianity is, is the same thing. And it's more uh, your salvation had to do with you as, and, and you had a reward coming to you. And uh, both Christians and Gnostics believe that you have a reward in the afterlife, whereas it's not so clear to me that, you know, the ancient Jews really even believed in an afterlife. So um, it just res- it resonates with me. Um, and, um, you know, as soon as I read Genesis, you know, when I read the Bible at one point in the 80s, I read it for pretty much from cover to cover. And I, I read the uh, story of Adam and Eve and stuff. And I said, wait a minute, this, this guy that's, you know, hovering above them, giving the commands, that can't be the real God. He's lying. He's doing this stuff. So, you know, I, it, I, recognize, I recognize that before I, you know, even started identifying with Gnosticism. So when... I um, started listening to Miguel's podcast and got more educated about what the Gnostics were and so forth. I said, yeah, you know what? These are things I thought of the whole time. So it's basically resonance to an inner belief system that I developed, you know, ad hoc over the years. Um, it's, that that's, that is a very eloquent way to say, I feel like it's uh, that Gnosticism is very punk rock. <laughs> there you go yeah that's it's, it's always resonated for me uh with me for that very individualistic reason um it's not to shoo away community um but it's to espouse that sort of free thinking aspect which is uh almost antithetical to at least traditional organized religion most certainly um would you have anything to add to that Miguel? yeah actually i do i want to quote from uh, Grant Morrison's Nameless, which is a very Gnostic uh, graphic novel along with the Invisibles. But uh, he writes, and this goes to what Vance was saying, the God of the Hebrew Bible. It says, uh, now consider the possibility that we've always had a disembodied alien life form living among us, invisible yet able to occupy minds and alter them. It hides in plain sight everywhere. This mind boasts of its own omnipotence, it informs us that we are no more than than submissive instruments of its will, then deliberately wills us to defy its rules, all the while it vows to punish every preordained breach of those rules, however brief or minor, with eternal agonizing torture in a cosmic concentration camp. What name might we give such an omnip- omnipresent evil? And then the other guy says, God. You're talking about God. So I think that goes into the heart of Gnosticism because it is, uh, we're talking about horror, it is sort of horrific. I mean, the Gnostic uh, Gospels are full of um, these, yeah, these supreme monster-looking Lovecraftian creatures, and there's a ton of uh, violence, there's a ton of... uh, uh, raping i mean there's people being raped down on the earth and there's demons in different dimensions raping souls there's a there's a, an insistence of no free will and a darkness of this universe over and over again 
but that's also what you get in a horror movie but that's where the the beauty starts because you are called to face the darkness that's the punk rock punk rock part you are it's like gnosticism shoves your face into the dark sides of this universe Mm -hmm. and then tells you okay now you've seen it now it's up to you to get out now it's up to you to find your own aesthetic now it's up to you to find not just a way out but a way to help others out and that's where gnosticism then brings in the positive parts there's a rescue operation by this being called sophia there's uh, there's the the awakening teachings of Jesus and other uh, apostles of light. So it does have that horror component, but that victory, if you can, again, look inward, if you can be honest with the darkness, the old saying uh, in what they call in AA, it's only when you realize how bad things are that you can actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. And most religions kind of tell you, you know, they kind of sterilize things and ah, don't worry, there's a plan. You know, hope is the was the last curse at the bottom of Pandora's box, because uh, hope is um, the Gnostics would agree is the antithesis of truth, the antithesis of action. So they would agree with that. So that's, I think, what I would add to Vance. And that's what I think is uh, very uh, what I like about Gnosticism is horror look inward get out uh and you have the power but uh, it's up to you and never lose the sight on the darkness like in these movies don't turn away don't relax <laughs> don't go but don't go to another room and say i'll be back you know all these rules <laughs> that do, that'll destroy you narcissism's like no this is punk rock we are going to war against these uh horrible evils that rule us oh and you know um we didn't talk about the divine spark aspect either that's something uh gnosticism um it teaches that people have at least in in the first level of thinking a piece of the divine within them in other words it's a connection to the the god above god or the monad or the one or whatever you want to call it whereas you know we're just worms in, in terms of you know the uh, the traditional you know just playthings of god in traditional religions i think across the board and that reflects the you know emphasis on on individuality and gnosticism versus collectivism uh in the uh traditional orthodox type religions so and that's what gives you the power to defeat the monsters and, you know, the power to, to know and the power to learn all the passwords and go through all the gateways and all that stuff. If you didn't have that, you know, be like uh, Van Helsing without his, without his cross and yeah. holy water. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate the, the detail, you know, because there are I, – I have quite a few uh, carryover listeners from your guys' show, actually, um, which I'm thankful for. Um uh, as I was telling you before uh, we started recording, um, the listeners, especially from your show, and this is how I approach listeners in general, I definitely don't see them as fans. I know you guys don't particularly either. They're, they're fellow researchers, they're fellow travelers, and you really get that um, uh, they, they're not just listening. You know, some of, the, some of the, the listeners that I have gotten from your show have been the most vocal, and I've made friends from just hearing you know, people hearing me on your show. And uh, um, so long story short, not only am I appreciative of that, but I know plenty of people are going to be familiar 
uh, with you guys and, and Gnosticism in general. But I think that these are some points that um, are always worth considering, um, especially this time of season. And, um, you know, it's the whole, uh, you know, we've, I've, I've talked a bit about Gnosticism and Christianity. Um, oftentimes together, it seems like when I bring them up on my show, when one comes up, the other comes up. And I would like to ask you guys, uh, help me iron this out a little bit, because, you know, the ancient history, especially if you're trying to go deeper than the mainstream narrative gets fairly murky. And uh, so where's the separation line? Help me look at this, like this unfolding um, graph here of history. What slice is not Gnosticism is, is certainly essentially a part of the ancient mysteries. But where does that come in? We talked about how it seemed to be inspired initially in a large part by um, ancient Hebrew. And we know that they were um, embroiled in the mysteries, whether they wanted to be or not being enslaved by the Egyptians for so long, uh, among other things. So I'll boil it down. I'd like to understand in context what Gnosticism means within the mystery specifically, because I have talked about that in a bit more detail on this show. And what does Gnosticism mean in terms of Christianity, because from my perspective, and I know like essentially from yours as well, both of yours, seems like the Bible, if anything, it was written from a Gnostic perspective. And it certainly makes the most sense from a Gnostic perspective. Well, I think uh, about mysteries, I think there's always been Gnostic thought. I think it just culminated mm -hmm. with the Christian Gnostics. I mean, these ideas were definitely floating for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, certainly in the East. But think about, for example, uh, history's first version of the Matrix, Plato's Cave. Mm -hmm. That right there is so, is, is somebody would say is Gnostic AF, AF right? Think, <laughs> of the myth, think of the myth of Prometheus, a very primordial myth where mm -hmm. Zeus and the Olympians are the, are the archons, they're the demons, and it's Prometheus. And Athena, who are, you know, who are ciphers for Jesus or uh, templates for Jesus and Sophia, who are helping humanity. And the fire could be the divine spark and so forth. Think of Zoroastrianism, where you have these two forces. You've got Ahura Mazda, who is the titan of wisdom. He's the embodiment of wisdom. He's genderless. He has these, uh, these Amesha Spentas, which people think are angels, but they're actually the faculties of his mind, like the aeons. And, of course, you've got uh, Araman, who's the great, you know, Bond villain or Darth Vader. Uh, so you have a lot of these ideas that are that philosophers and thinkers are, are hitting. And these, again, Plato and Zoroaster and some of these guys are, you know, they are the giants of history are coming up with these Gnostic ideas. And these ideas are being, of course, suppressed. They're being supplanted. And then these ideas suddenly start to unfold in where else? Probably Alexandria, that place where all these ideas are come to percolate and mix and interact. And this gives rise to uh, to the Christian Gnostics and the Hermeticists who basically take these ideas, uh, provide the myths to them. You know, the God will make the god of the Hebrew Bible. He is now Araman or Zeus or whatever dickhead creator god is. They're all dickheads <laughs> according to the Gnostics. And we will, uh, yeah, you might say they weaponized it, they matured it, and they really went at it. So these streams all came in. And again, 
as I should mention, we can't, monasticism is psychedelic. It is about altered states of mind. It's about the shamanistic journey to the place of the spirits. It's about an inward journey to find the universe within us, because as above, so below, as within, so without. So that is, of course, always central. But then the idea of the simulation and all that, that really matures with Christian Gnosticism. And that really uh, brings the ire of the uh, rising religion, Christianity, some of the other religions, too. Come on. Not a rapper, I'm a science teacher. They don't believe till the comments reaches. Been had the gift. Wish I had a split trapped in this labyrinth. Extreme fighting, crew up like a team titan. Power to the people. The only thing I dream writing. Struck the beast. Theme song, fuck police. Trying to scramble up little more than a buck defeat. Government games, they package a smuggle the cane. Crumbs sitting on memory lane. Twenty years and you still remember the pain. Break the cage, hard to keep the lion tame. Thoughts are radical. They say that God on sabbatical. They want your soul for collateral. Begin the war zone with the four four chrome. Is it martial law? Is it your home? We walk with the chains and shackles. It's Babylon picking up the shells of shrapnel. We walk with the chains and shackles. A day in the life feels like a bird in a cage. Feel like every step I take, one closer to the grave, choking in the haze, losing focus in the maze. The road to Babylon, where no hopes are entertained. I come back, that which is lost, it can't be regained. Thoughts ingrained in my paradigm, sponsors of pain. Monsters rain hell on paradise, we lost in the brain. Toxic vein, poison bloodstream, speaking in tongues. Season breathing, infernal equinox, demons and drugs. World changed since the world trade, it's heathens and thugs. Now police don't need a reason why they squeeze in a slug don't need a reason why they sweep our freedoms under the rug under the gun we are sleeping eating under the sun children of men outnumbered like a hundred to one odds never stop me once you running away some battles lost but the war's not one in a day a day in the life feels like a bird in a cage a cage bird sings a freedom song and passes away a day in the life just a passage of time perhaps in time we can make it there one day at a time a day in the life feels like a bird in a cage the cage bird sings a freedom song and passes away a day in the life just a passage of time perhaps in time we can make it there one day at a time animals have very little sense of tomorrow you cannot threaten a cow with torture or a sheep with death you cannot swing a sword at a tree and scream at it to produce more fruit or hold a burning torch to a field and demand more wheat you cannot get more eggs by threatening a hen eggs by threatening him. This human farming has been the most profitable and destructive occupation throughout history. Human society cannot be rationally understood until it is seen for what it is. A series of farms where human farmers own human livestock.
Thousands of people are having paranormal experiences with ghosts, demons, shadow people, dogmen, Bigfoot, and more. Their stories need to be told, and they are being told. Dark Waters, the renowned storyteller, invites you to join at imdarkwaters.com. For just a few dollars a month, you can listen to some of the most hair-raising and compelling stories on the planet. You'll have access to real-life stories told by Dark Waters, thousands of hours of content. Their encounters are being told and told by the best at imdarkwaters.com. Listen to stories like The Rabbit Man, The Dog Man Encounter in Silas, Alabama, The Man with No Face, The Other Woman, A Day Ahead of the Devil, Dog Man Murder in Hurricane Ida, even a story of someone trying to kill a dogman. Louisiana Water Demon Stories. Sign up today and become a member at imdarkwaters.com. That's imdarkwaters.com. Musicians experience a lot of frustration with music marketing and promotion. They have no idea how to get their music heard, and they're spending hours sending emails, making phone calls, and hitting up their friends to promote them. With our industry-powered digital marketing platform, we can set up your media plan in minutes. Our team will automatically distribute your music across all the best channels, so you can focus on actually making the music. Submit your music today on our website at mymusicpromoter.com. That's mymusicpromoter.com. Listen, as we explore the mysteries of the universe, the unknown, high strangeness, consciousness, and our human potential, Lighting the Void is an eclectic program that strives to ignite the late night with stimulating conversations. Join us on The Fringe FM. subject because the Bible itself doesn't really have consistency between the major gospels, between, you know, uh, the epistles, the acts of the apostles. Um, you know, certainly Paul, it's well known that, you know, Paul had Gnostic elements, and I'm sure you and many of the listeners know about the confluence between Simon Magus and Paul. So there's a good example. And uh, Gospel of John is uh, very Gnostic and very mystic at the same time. Other Gospels are more, you know, um, you know, I, um, pedestrian, so to speak. Well, here's just the story, and they differ as far as which parts of the story they tell. So it's hard to say the entire Bible is, you know, uh, influenced by Gnosticism. And the other thing is, you got to remember um, the influence of the Greeks on the Romans was tremendous, and the influence on the Greeks on the Jews was also tremendous through the Romans. And, you know, through Egypt, even in Alexandria. So the, um, um, the, the, the con some, uh, sometimes I think of Gnosticism as, as, uh, Platonism or Neoplatonism, um, in an environment that was hostile that made the people kind of start to question, you know, that the, the one wasn't really, you know, the, uh, the entirely good. You know, they kind of took a pessimistic view of the world because their environment was uh, so, so uh, because there's a lot of things in common between Platonism and Gnosticism. Not, not entirely, of course. There's another whole 
aspect of the shadows, Platonism is more positive, you know. Um, but, you know, remember the the Platonists, that they still had the Greek gods in the background and so forth. And the Jews were also polytheistic in the earlier days. You know, the, uh, the concentration on just Yahweh uh, was later in their history. So that's what I my reflections on the Bible and Gnosticism. Yeah, and I, sh- I should mention there's still, yeah, there's still more about the stream. I, I, com- I forgot. Uh, we also have to think of the Sumerians. What's the idea of the Sumerians? That uh, you have these sort of uh, space engineers and uh, they create humans. And then uh, we have uh, Enki, who's the Prometheus Jesus figure, who's trying to get you. And also uh, Mida, I forgot it, the name of his concert. But of course, the other gods want to wipe out humans. And you have this play again humans and gods and going so forth else and even in uh, plato talks about um the demiurge and people say well in the platonic system the demiurge is good and the timaeus yes but there's also a line where he says the demiurge went back and he allowed the young gods to take over uh, take over the world and so you had this prevalent idea of these lesser divinities that had taken over the world which was not controversial you see again as van says you see it in paul with the powers and principalities of the god of this world uh you see that in the book of enoch where the angels have taken over and are swaying civilization you see you see that over and over and the gnostics simply took it to its lost logical conclusion that this is not good people we're just letting this happen and maybe it's time humans rebelled or kind of took a stand against these beings once and for all. I mean, even in uh, the Gospel of Mark, what does it say? Uh, when Satan takes Jesus up to the mountain, he says, uh, I rule every kingdom of this world. It's specific that Satan is under control. Uh, you have in the uh, the epistle of John, I think it's uh, verse 1 John 5, where uh, the author of John says, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Now, he's not talking about Sauron. He's talking about the Demiurge or Satan or whatever this, these, this angelic being and beings that are controlling the universe. So you see that definitely in the Bible. It was in the air in Judaism, Christianity, probably paganism. But as I say, this sort of really culminated the idea of the simulation and these evil programmers, all that, it really, uh, it really, uh, yeah, hits a high note with the Gnostics. And uh, of course, it should be said too, I mean, the Platon thing, when you think, oh my God, there's so much that draws, although all religions draw from many sources, that's what religions do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Plato and Pythagoras themselves said that they got all their knowledge from the Egyptians. So the Egyptians themselves are already talking about these flights and there's these uh, stellar beings that you've got to avoid because they control the universe and so forth. And you got to avoid the giant snake and be on the side of Ra and all that. So this was, this was certainly in the air, but uh, later on, uh religions the abrahamic religion just said no no we're just gonna we're gonna go with the big boss the union thug lord that rules this universe (laughs) and we're just gonna make nice and pay his dues and we'll be fine and the gnostics had to be wiped off the map (laughs) and they didn't have any uh uh, any representations of evil in terms of even people say well no how about the book of job you know they had satan in there well that's just the adversary and he was kind of an agent of yahweh right 
you know so mm-hmm. he got, just got sent down to observe and you know kibitz with him say hey about this how about this guy joe so you know uh, i they 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 didn't really have a personification of evil the ancient hebrews if you can believe the old testament now i don't know the uh the cabal the kabbalists are a different story but i, I consider them kind of a thing apart from the mainstream judaism back then yeah um I would completely agree with you. And I would say, at least in premise, maybe not so much, certainly not always in follow through, but um, the Kabbalists would have had this notion as well. Um, it just where before things got really Abrahamic and like really ramped up, um, there was a more nuanced perspective on evil. And that, uh, that actually um, will be, you know, perfect for, you know, I'll, I have some things to say, but it'll be a, a perfect buildup to help me volley it off back to you guys, because I want some of your uh, perspectives on this. Um, but it seems like Gnosticism all throughout history, part of it is, you know, part of what makes its character is the presence and the debate of this sliding scale of, you know, let's take in the Abrahamic context. Um, what... So what does Yahweh or, or or Jehovah really represent? How evil is that if it's a demiurge and it's base and it's like the union overlord? And what does that mean for Satan? And, um, and you know, I've talked about this a bit on the show and among other things without, you know, mincing words too much. I think that a poignant, simplistic, but, you know, very nuanced way to look at it is simply, you know, the yin and yang or the Buddhist middle path. Um, it's good and evil don't come from light and dark. It's the polarity and the, and, and the middle path between the two, but um, Gnosticism for those reasons, it challenges you and forces you to have a very nuanced perspective on good and evil. And I think that's one of the most useful things about it, you know, because evil in Gnosticism is sort of that, that, that glitzy persona, you know, that the cleaner and the more, um, you know, the more upper crust and socialite that something is the more, you know, horrendous, that's the kind of person that has people chained up in their basement, you know, like the, the, the cleaner cut you look. And I've said many times, obviously that's a stretch of an example, but I've said many times that I trust someone more, um, that is that drinks sometimes or smokes sometimes, drinks or smokes, whatever, Um, you know, as long as I don't want them to be completely off the rails, but I like someone that is comfortable being flawed and has some humility and isn't afraid to get a little dirty just in their own life in general and isn't afraid to cut up a little bit because the people who are too straight laced and repressed, those are the ones you really have to worry about. And Gnosticism kind of points the finger at the repression in spirituality and existentialism and says worry about this too so yeah i would say that too yeah um so what in general what would you guys say like so what are your thoughts obviously all listeners at this point are at least somewhat familiar with the demiurge they understand the basic premise um but how does that fit into the historical context like what what do you guys say? Uh, obviously, Gnosticism isn't specifically beholden to the Abrahamic religions or Christianity, but how does that context fit? Because I, it, it seems like, you know, Vance, you made a good point. You can't say that 
in mass, the whole Bible was just written from a Gnostic perspective, but there's so much Gnostic perspective in there. And um, there is. Yeah. So why would they write it if the Demiurge was strictly evil? You know, and again, I think it harkens back to you're asking the wrong questions if you're asking what is strictly good and what is strictly evil. So I just kind of like to hear your guys' perspective on that. I don't think anything's strictly evil or anybody. I mean, there's, uh, for example, there's a lot of joy in the world and so forth in the context of the world. And if the Demiage uh, is said to create the world, then, you know, it couldn't, pure evil couldn't exist. It would just tear itself apart. It would be pure destruction. You know, it's a matter of, I think there's like a knob at the very least that, you know, it's like how much destruction and how much, you know, uh, construction there is in a particular uh, environment. And or and it's also um, a certain and to a certain extent, when you're interacting with people, um, it, it's a matter of how the kind of effect you have on other people. Are you uh, uh, if you're uh, a quote unquote evil person, um that people would say, you know, that person is evil. Uh, they would have a negative effect, you know, on, on the other person's well-being in general, you know, um, uh, especially people who have deliberate, you know, malefic thoughts about others. So, you know, it's a matter of people's intentions too. Uh, so that's kind of the way I think about it. Yeah, I think at least from the Gnostic perspective, <clears throat> excuse me, the idea of evil is uh it's really tied into ignorance i mean as the the gospel of philip says the mother of all sins is ignorance uh our great sin is not because we ate from a fruit or we were masturbating when we were 10 to black <laughs> widow comic books or something like that it was uh yeah my hairy palms i still have my hairy palms no uh, I, I, uh it has to do that we are turning away from the truth, from our potential, from what we are, as a, as having the divine spark, that infinite, that shard of infinity within, caretakers of the cosmos, and we are turning away from that and not realizing that. On the other hand, the, the Argons and the Demiurge, their job, they are ignorant too. They're more like they're almost algorithms or machines. Their job is to A, be vampiric, which is uh, our evil right there. If you're just going to be a parasite eating off of something for, for eternity. And the other one is to make sure that we don't wake up to our potential so that we will always be chattel, that we'll always be slaves, that we'll always be subservient. There's a couple of quotes that I got here. One is from the, uh, on the origins of the world, I believe. Yeah. And it says, uh, uh, say, no, it's the hypostasis of the archon, the nature of the archon that says they threw mankind into, into a great distraction and into a life of toil. So that their mankind might be occupied by worldly affairs like iPhone, social media, movies, and might not have the opportunity of being devoted to the Holy Spirit. In other words, the evil they throw at is not just fear and violence and all that, but it's also the material delights of this world, how they keep us down. That would be evil. Uh, there's another one where Sophia comes down into the world in the, uh, the secret book of John. And she says, and I entered into the midst of their prison, which is the prison of the body. 
And I said, he who hears, let him get up from his deep sleep. In other words, most humans are asleep to their divine nature, to their potential, to everything that they that they are. And uh, I mean, we could say the same thing. Uh, let's say let's say about the government. The government's job is to curtail our rights, to make sure it feeds off of us that we're all docile and uh, uh, getting along and working together and all that. But is the government evil? Well, according to Gnosticism, it would be because they were anarchists at heart. But to most people, you know, keeping us all in a herd-like pen, uh, feeding off of us, just keeping the status quo and not uh, upsetting the apple cart might not be evil. But in Gnosticism, it is evil. Anything that gets in the way from the rights of the individual and the potential and dignity of every human is uh, would be considered uh, evil in Gnosticism. And again, that can include uh, it could include your iPhone. It could include violence. It could include uh, anything like that. Yeah, well said. And um, you know, a real it, I don't know if it was a turning point, but there was just m- many light bulbs that went off for me. Um, I've talked about this before with you guys a little bit. Um, I've talked about it a little bit on this show, so it's just worth um, a brief mention. But um, Jung's work, um, Answer to Job, is something that it was, uh, it was, it, I think it was, if there was any light bulb that went off, it was just a strong resonance of like, um, you know, because I could put it like this, you could read certain books of the Bible and um, you could, it, it would make a lot more sense from a Gnostic perspective, but is that um, the end all be all perspective? Well, not necessarily, but um, there are certain cases, especially since the Bible has so many different books and um, alleged authors, whoever they be, um, that it doesn't really make any sense at all, unless you really have this sort of perspective. And for me, the book of Job was that. Um, and it, especially the context that uh, that Gautier put on it with um, with his rendition of Faust. But uh, yeah, the idea that um, uh, Satan, even in the book of Job, is n- not the evil one, <laughs> it, not by a long Definitely shot. Not. Yeah, Poor guy. It, I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, if anything, it, um, he seems to be especially with uh with the context of um you know like the the mephistophelian faustian context it seems to be someone trying to wake job up a, a bit um some sort of gnosis yeah. even and uh and oh, he's, the, a, the he's a trickster yeah yeah, yeah he, i think then he was more of a a trickster spirit and he was right. gods he, he challenged the limits of your ego uh, to make sure that you were a good person or just to just to screw with you and show what a hypocrite you were. I think that was probably Satan's original uh, position, if you would. Yeah, that yeah, that's a great point. That was the sort of the initial fertile soil for what we understand as evil today was, was more of this uh, this trickster that's uh, that's always challenging the uh, the the general codes and the superiority. Um but I think they were both drinking at a cosmic bar, you know, and they had a little bit too much. Yeah, especially with the book of so, Job. Having a bar bet, you know. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, a real trading places situation. 
But anyway, yeah, um, true. The Book of Job, uh, it's certainly very Gnostic. What was the other one you mentioned? Uh, yeah, The Legend of Faust has a lot of, uh, has extremely Gnostic. If you ever read, uh, there's a book by Ramona Frat Fradon, and in the comic book circles, she is uh, one of the uh, goats or OGs. She worked on Wonder Woman and all that, but. She wrote a book called The Gnostic Faustus, and she 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 kind of traces the Gnostic mythology through the legends of uh, Faustus throughout the Middle Ages. And of course, uh, I think it was I don't know if it was Marler or Goethe who actually said Faustus is based on Simon Magus, the father of Gnosticism of the first century. So you got that vibe right there. Um. Speaking of like apocryphal books of the Bible um, with those Gnostic overtones, what do you guys, I don't know if we've ever talked about this before. Um, what are you guys thoughts? And have you ever read the gospel of Judas? Oh yeah. Um, what? Um, that's, that's a cosmic horror one. Absolutely. Yeah. No <laughs> kidding. It ends, it ends where like uh, Jesus is saying what's going to happen. And it's kind of, yeah, this could come out of a, a, a classic horror movie because Judas is asking the stuff. And Jesus said, look, there's this, the Demiurge's name is Sacklas, the childish god, as they call him. And as time runs out, Sacklas goes on this like uh, blood orgy where he starts eating every creature in the cosmos because, you know, the door's closing, the Kali Yuga's ending and his time's up. So he's going to go out in a place of glory. And he's, of course, demonic. And then the universe ends, and then G and Judas is well, who's going to be God of this universe? And Jesus is like, you are. You're fucked. And Judas <laughs> is like, what? Yeah. Yes, you're in charge of it. So, it, yeah, it definitely, it's a very dark, yeah, horror-like, definitely a very Halloween, uh, Halloween scripture. And it doesn't have a happy ending because Jesus comes to wake up, wake up some people and says, you know, the churches, uh, they're cannibalistic. They're going to eat people and all that. And they're going to kill me. And he doesn't even save the universe. He just goes back to his, uh, to the eternal realm. So yeah, good Halloween call. Good Lord. Yeah. I already knew the story. And when you put it like that, it's just, it's genuinely creepy. Um, and, <laughs> and for those that don't know, um, part of the buildup there is, uh, before, you know, the, um, Judas betrays Christ. Um, he, Christ takes him aside and essentially tells him that he has to do this. It's part of, you know, the greater process. You're going to have to turn me in because these, this sequence of events needs to happen. And um, also you're the only one that really understood. You're the most mm -hmm. punk rock out of all my disciples, Judas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it yeah, would... being in charge of the universe is not a good thing because no. again, if you Vance or I were in charge of the universe, we'd hate our existence every moment because it's a, a horrible job i mean managing the entire cosmos hell no yeah that's i'd never want to be um yeah i, I never want, want to, to be god be, yeah exactly <laughs> i would never want to like be a ceo of my own business or anything um i i would like to work for myself more than i already do but um i yeah i would never you'll never catch me in a suit and a tie in a big board yeah, it's like, that's oh my just god. the root of evil to me <laughs> the space time continuum has broken down evolution has a problem you gotta fix this you know a million people are praying to me every day oh my god i can't deal with this i can't deal with this so 
Yeah, that's one thing. That's one Gnostic perspective that I think um, has given me a great sense of, I don't know, just even therapy in my life because, well, f- f- you know, what's the best way to put it? Having some sort of understanding and just like showing God a little bit of grace in a sense. Um, because I don't, you know, I definitely, if we're not mincing words here, um, and giving room to um, the, you know, due interpretation, you know, because there's different ways you could take this. It seems like the demiurge is very flawed and petulant, but um, does, is it, is it evil, evil in the way that we would like just classify some sort of serial killer um, in the boilerplate sense? No, he seems more like something that has been pushed to the brink, like someone that has way too much on the table and is highly reckless and irresponsible. And if anything is just so negligent, potentially, among other things, that it becomes almost definitely ominous and maybe evil at times. But if anything, it's because I I think what I'm getting at here is the idea of um, a humanoid cosmic entity because you know uh, obviously you guys know gnosticism takes it to the god above god it's something that is not even attempted to really be humanized because it's beyond that and whereas yahweh specifically has the notion that demiurgic notion of being humanized um and having those even human flaws um but um I think oh, yeah, it's a hard one getting into the psyche of the demiurge because yeah, it's okay. uh, its job is to keep us uh, trapped. It's like the old Machiavelli: is it easier to be feared or loved? Both, and so his job is to make sure that we we are happy, but abused, but tortured, but worship him at any cost. But at the same time. They're described as mechanistic, soulless. Uh, they're like, yeah, they are like machines, algorithms, mm-hmm. uh, algorithmic demons. And they tend, but at the same time, they're not logical. They tend to be gripped by very childish. It's almost like an AI had come become self-aware, but still was had the mentality of a child, like that omnipotent child in that Twilight Zone movie. So they tend right. to lose their... T- they lose their temper. They tend to fuck whatever they want to fuck that moves. They tend to fight amongst themselves. Uh, they tend to, I mean, as some scholars said very well, the Archons, there's only one Archon. There's only the Demiurge. And the Archons are just facets of them. So we could say it's almost like our shadow side, all our bad mm. qualities that ruin our life and destroy our relationships and don't allow us to thrive at work or uh other or you know or be afraid of making decision those are all the archons and they're manifesting so yeah the, the demiurge might be the great shadow of uh the true god but uh yeah maybe van van says because yeah put, getting my mind around the demiurge has always been a hard one the great <laughs> yeah, the tough. great shadow of the true god the god above god that is a fast that's some fascinating imagery i'd like to hear your take vance well um supposing this like, like we talk about the demiurge as if it's like a human and supposing the demiurge wasn't conscious in the same way you know it wasn't special to himself in other words point. he truly was a machine 
just as no more conscious than a computer program sitting in your computer. Maybe a very complex one, maybe one that was designed with a lot of uh, goals. But in that case, it wouldn't even know that the things that it was manipulating were conscious because it had no concept of consciousness. And that's true. But it's true addicted to us, isn't that it? It's addicted to, we are the plug that's light source. Like a hungry us, ghost. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. where it's entertainment, you know, well, it, it's part of its prime directive is to move the chess pieces on the board. And if it doesn't like a chess piece, it cracks it or throws it out, gets another one. And it, it does, never gives a thought to the fact that the chess piece might have been conscious, have a life, and be, have a perception. Uh, it didn't think the chess piece is modeling the game and the rest of the universe or that the chess piece maybe conceives of this demiurge, you know, and, 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 and is suffering. Uh, the, I mean, the demiurge might be ignorant of suffering altogether. And, and we were saying that ignorance right. is evil. Well, guess what? That ignorant demiurge, evil demiurge right there. You yeah, know? no kidding. No kidding. That's another way to look at it. I don't know if that's true. but Yeah, and I think that's why horror works with Gnosticism. Because if you look at the demiurge, for example, somebody like Sauron wouldn't work. Sauron is actually, he's logical, he's methodical, there's a plan. If you look at Thanos and Marvel, again, there's a certain uh, good intentions to him. If you look at the archetype right. from the Matrix, this is very logical what it's doing. We right. need to survive. We're going to give, we're going to use these math and algorithms to make sure that we survive and humans survive and everything's good. So, But in horror, that's where it gets more complex because you can put somebody, we're talking Pinhead. Pinhead is e evil, but you see he has a lot of dignity. He remembers. He has... Uh, a sense of humor he understands it's almost like he's very complex but we still don't really understand or michael myers or your average monster that whose morality is beyond us but wants to eat us and so forth so it's almost like horror villains kind of work or freddy krueger horror villains kind of work better as the archons than your typical uh you know comic book heroic villain fantasy villain and that's you the thing about narcissism where so it's like cosmic horror. Yeah, because it's like <laughs> in uh, cosmic horror, what happens? If you're, if, you know, if Vance and Anthony and I, we sit in our little rooms and we talk on this interview and then we go watch a movie tonight we, with our families, we don't leave our town, maybe go on a vacation, it's fine. But if we start asking too many questions, we go too far for those artifacts. We start meditating and expanding our consciousness we start uh, traveling to exotic places for magical right guess what happens bump you get the attention of the archons and as uh, the texts say that's when the hammer comes down and that isn't that cosmic horror these explorers go too far they go too deep in the ocean too much into the glacier and guess what they wake up shit they shouldn't have woken up and this shit is like gigantic it's almost omnipotent it's indestructible it runs the universe it might have created us and we are just this little plaything and we made the mistake of uh waking it up like if uh, you know a little bug walks by my cat and bothers them my cat will wake up and eat it and go back to sleep so that's where gnosticism and cosmic horror are very similar right well yeah well said um reminds me of the the Philip K. Dick story that's just forever burned in my brain where he talks about um, trying to kill the rat in his house that was stuck in the trap. Uh, 
Yeah, and and he just experienced true existential horror himself uh, as he was self-aware of him embodying this sort of demiurgic quality of life. And and he's like, well, you know, what can I do? I, you know, the rat's already caught in the trap and I have to keep trying to kill it to at least put it out of its misery. Um, But each time I try to kill it, it doesn't die. And so he has to... like attempt to kill this rat in a series of ways, like at least three or four times. And um, um, I, you know, I think if we're bringing it down to a practical, like archetypal level, um, the, the only way to learn from encapsulating that, th- that inner demiurge um, is, you know, to, to be self-aware enough to take some humility out of the situation as uh, as evidenced in um philip k dick's story how he even incorporated i can't remember the story but he even incorporated that dead rat into his story and he buried it with a saint christopher medal um so and i you know i think like right it, it, gnosticism is just so fascinating because people try to take practical um things that they see in their everyday life you know a to b observations and then they try to take these high-minded philosophical concepts to try to to explain them. Um, but Gnosticism is so much of the opposite. It uses the practical to interpret um, the more high-minded concepts. Like with time and time again throughout history, who are the people that fuck us over the most? It, it it's the people that have the unbridled um, power. They, they are as, as as omnipotent as a human being can get. You know the. Uh, the, the smoothest talkers are the ones that get away with the most, like the most powerful, you know, the Vatican became the center <clears throat> and probably in some sense always was the center of all of just horrible sex crimes and trafficking. Um, so the all you have to do is just be vaguely observant, you know, to historical patterns to understand that, you know, the more authoritative and domineering something is, the more by definition it's just going do not have your best interest at heart. So why would, if, if, if that is the case with everything we can see as far as human sociology is concerned, why is it not going to work you know, as above, so below? Um, so it just makes sense to me. Um, I got a question for you guys, a, a little bit of a personal question, but nothing too crazy. Um, have you guys, did you uh, growing up or you know, throughout your lives um, have to wrestle with like, deep-seated anxiety were you anxious people because i found that i was drawn you know gnosticism and these perspectives has have helped me so much you know i definitely grew up very anxious very depressed and i've um as i've gotten older i've been able to you know really stretch my legs and i've i've been very comfortable with myself for a long time now uh comparatively but those things never really leave you and sort of taking the existential anxiety I had of just of life in general, you know, a kid shouldn't really have existential anxiety, (laughs) Uh, but, but when they do it, you know, um, it's not something you forget. And so even when I am feeling comfortable, um, I'm, I'm very familiar with that feeling and tackling it head on and coming to some sort of peace with it is one of the most beneficial things that I've ever done, spiritually speaking. So what are you guys' experiences with that and, and the existential anxieties in your personal lives? 
I'll let Vance go first. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, I, I was shielded. I'm going to go call my therapist while he does that. <laughs> Get your journal out, Miguel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My steward Smalley videos from Saturday night for life. <laughs> <laughs> and people like me, right? <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah, I was shielded. Most of my early life was concerned with women. I was, you know, I'm the kind of person that always liked to have a girlfriend, got married early and so forth, got divorced early, you know, four and a half years later, and then spent a miserable single life for a while until I met my current wife. So I was distracted by 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 that uh, and I never really thought much although during the single period is when I started um, come to think of it is when I started seriously getting a real in, reading Crowley going to mystery school and all, doing all the spiritual stuff so uh, when I first became aware of the Gnostics although I didn't identify as a Gnostic at that time in the 80s um, so yeah I guess so but I'll tell you the existential anxiety existential anxiety is actually has visited me now in my older years, you know, at uh, retirement age and so forth. Uh, now, you know, when you get to that age, you start thinking about, hey, what's next? You know, what's what's really going to happen, mm -hmm. you know, in the afterlife and so forth. And, you know, the, the fear of like, it's the existential fear, like, uh, of the void, you know, is this, is this what's really going to happen? But then again, you know, if, if you, if you die and there's just a void and you're uh, obliterated, then there's nothing, you know, there's nothing left to fear, but it really comes to a loss. You're losing everything that you've worked for. And then you start questioning why you worked for it and so forth. But I keep on coming back to, well, you know, it's about the interactions, you know, with my wife, my son, so forth with, with you guys. It's really about that and enjoying the moment. So I keep coming back to that, and if um, I hope I, that addresses your question, but that's what my situation is. Absolutely, yeah. I appreciate um, um, you being able to be personal there for a little bit because, sure. Um, yeah, I I've said it before. Um, I think that if you're being honest with yourself, the reason that anybody really gets into this stuff is, you know, for some level of self improvement, some self betterment in a way that best case scenario, not just helps you, but helps others. And you could just live, you know, even if it's satisfying, not satisfying, cause that's, that's just, you know, what is satisfaction anyway, but a level of peace and contentment, I think is what we're all really looking for. And I know for me, um, the reason that I've been entrenched in this stuff for, you know, years now as a, you know, I'm going to be 27 before too long. I, I still have plenty to go, God willing. And um, um, I got into this stuff at an early age because, you know, studiously too, because I needed questions answered. I was just on a bad track and I, I knew enough to be able to recognize it, but I didn't know enough to be able to recognize what exactly it was or where to begin. And this is just it's such a tangles rat's nest. If you're trying to um, iron out your life in a way that it's just functional, you know, because the it, today's life just spreads us so fucking thin. Um, people don't have a center anymore, you know, and they don't know where to start to collect that center and build, you know, the allegorical temple of their mind, body, and soul and, and the, the temple of their existence. And, you know, um, I also appreciate you guys because 
you know, you, you have humility and you're both humble individuals, but I, I'll, I am happy to admit, even if you guys wouldn't want to, like you guys have definitely built proper temples, you know, you're just human like anybody else, but I, uh, you know, I, I respect you guys and you know, you, you, you're a bit older than me. So I, and I appreciate being able to have a meeting of the minds um, in a way that where age doesn't really matter because it doesn't. And, um, and also, but you guys are a little inspirational too. You know, you've been around the block and you've done it and you didn't let the existential dread, you know, smash you with its, with the heel of its boot. <laughs> so props <laughs> to you for that. Trying not to. <laughs> Miguel, what, what would you have to say to that? Oh God, this is like my, <laughs> This is my life. I could talk about this for hours, like Woody Allen or something. But uh, yeah, I think one of the things, there are many ways Gnosticism has helped me. One of them is the idea of, again, facing the darkness. Because uh, Joseph Campbell said this many times, that Joseph Campbell was a union. And uh, they were both drawing from this idea of the Mysterium Tremendo and the Mysterium Fascinante, which life is a horror. If you don't, if you're not honest about it, that life is a horror, which it is. And if you bring in the supernatural, it is a million times of a horror. <laughs> but it is balanced as the Manichaean's light by a light, light and shadow, yin and yang. And if you could hold these two up, which I think which is the Manichaean's are, that's when you find this sort of uh, peace or understanding and acceptance because. Uh, everything is balanced. Everything is just doing what it needs to be in the universe, and that's fine. But that's the key. Most people are either too much into one side or too much into the other. Mm -hmm. You have to know it has to be both. It has to be honest, and it has to be completely fearless because, yes, life is a horror, but it's also an incredible miracle uh, which is just, uh, which is amazing. It just floods you with so much love and compassion. But again, there's also the shadow side. So that has helped me too. Uh, as far as, yeah, anxiety and depression, again, going union, when I realized that there was nothing wrong with me, it really helped because once I, again, it's almost like how you're going to frame your mind, uh, we talked about the Gnostics saying, how does good get into the world? When you realize that your depression, your anxiety, your bad memories, they're not there to punish you because that really at the core, it's completely illogical. Your psyche is not designed to punish you. Right. It's a form of communication. There are things that I'm not looking at underneath i can't my ego maybe doesn't understand why i'm anxious or depressed or maybe it does but there are forces underneath there's shadows coming up there's complexes there's trauma and it wants a seat at the table it wants to be heard and it wants to be integrated into me once i started doing that and just and again this it takes meditation contemplation therapy you know uh uh, ayahuasca, whatever you want to do, journaling, dream, whatever you do so you can listen to your soul, <clears throat> suddenly these forces are heard and you have. we all have many versions of our childhood self that are still hurt. They want to be heard too. They're, they're screaming from the past, you know, Miguel, remember this time we need to work out what happened because I need to know, was I the victim? What was going on around me? 
why did this happen? And then we need to find out what the archetypal images are moving and we need to find a harmony and work it out. Once I do that, suddenly the, uh, I don't even, it's as weird and negative as it sounds. I welcome my anxiety. I welcome my depression. I welcome my bad memories because I'm like, Hey guys, you got something important to tell me just like inspiration has something important. Just like happy moments have important things to tell me. They all have something. It's all a form of communication. There is a play of aeons and archons and demons and angels inside of me, a whole universe doing what it does, which is a system, this yin and yang working within me, just as it's working outside in the universe. And I need to listen to it and be aware of this grand drama within me. So that's really helped me. And again, this is very much what Jung got. That was the the treasure he got from the Gnostics, the people he said it was his long lost friends and they knew the secrets of the psyche. The other one too, again, is contemplation. The Neoplatonists, the um, Gnostics and the Hermeticists were all about imagination, contemplating everything. And in our age, sometimes I'm sure you were the same, Anthony, you think too much. You're always thinking, always pondering, but that's how mm-hmm. we work things out. Uh, one thing that I realized with anxiety was a technique is, uh, let's say I'm anxious about flying or meeting somebody. I go and I and I recreate what's going to happen. And I do the worst possible scenario. I'm going to miss the flight. The flight's going to crash. Mm-hmm. Uh, this person's going to think I'm a dork. I'm going to lose the deal and I won't be able to pay my bills. I go through the worst possible scenario. And if I do it honestly, like in a movie, I realize, you know, shit, it ain't so bad. It's not the end of the world. I'll figure something out. It's, uh, and if it is the end of the world, then it's my time. And uh, this idea always leads to death. I think all fear and anxiety is because we don't want to let go. We want to avoid death, which is inevitable, which, again, why horror movies are great because it teaches us an, a deep unconscious understanding of death and the temporality of life. And this goes to the, uh, you know, the stoic idea of memento mori. Remember death every day you wake up, or there's a Sufi saying, you know, today I'm going to die and there is no God but Allah. And if I realize that death is coming at me, suddenly I'm very alive and I'm very happy to be here. And I'm very happy for these few moments, you know, the famous, tears and rain that Roy Mm. Batty gives in uh, the very Gnostic Blade Runner. So these Gnostic ideas have helped me. And again, I have a lot of work to do and it's taken me years to get here, just constant work. But again, these days I'm like, oh, hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk to you again. I'm like, okay, what message do you have? You you need a seat at the table. You are part of me, goddammit. You archons and aeons are part of my life. Let's work together and figure out what our holy purpose is in this uh, existence while it lasts. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well said, because the idea of not being like just in one way or another, deprogramming yourself from being at war with yourself is the biggest step uh, because um, those things, you know, the things that keep you up at night, the, 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 the deep-seated anxieties you have, the memories that you don't want to uh, really process properly, like those, it's just like a bad trip, you know, sometimes it has the most insight. And truly, it's if something that you're avoiding like that is a piece of yourself locked away at that point. And that's, that's how I've certainly always seen it, which is, 
I guess in and of itself, a very Gnostic perspective um, where I've never wanted, once I, I understood that mentality, um, I never wanted to let anxiety, and I truly live by this, I never wanted to let anxiety get in the way of bettering myself um, because I knew <laughs> being someone that was just just abundant with anxiety that the more you avoid it, the more it will just build. So the, the only yeah, way yeah. to really purge it is to tackle it head on. Um, and yeah, because if not, it manifests in your body, it manifests right. in addiction. I mean, again, it's not bad. It just wants to be heard. That's right. all it wants. It wants to say, hey, I have a message from your past or your unconscious or maybe another world. Who knows? And I want to listen or I'll, I'll, I'll do something bad to you because I need to be listened. Right. Even just in a physical sense, um, when your body is tense, uh, it's an alarm system. You need to stretch out or, you know, right. put some ice on that. Um, our body will manifest deficiencies for not eating the proper foods. And, you know, same thing, alarm systems. And um, by jumping to supernatural evil too often, we miss those crucial alarm systems. <laughs> yeah, it gets worse, but I'm always like, I want that bad news because I'm ready to go to war. But I was listening to uh, Dr. Gabriel uh, Mate. Uh, he came out with his book, The Myth of Normal. And again, it's very, you know, no, we're not normal. Nobody's normal. Nobody's abnormal. But he was talking about how uh, uh, when soldiers come back and they have PTSD, about 20% of them, the 20% every time, have PTSD had childhood trauma hmm. and that just goes back to the Jungian idea of how powerful the mother father and child archetypes are and that always goes back to the mother and the father some way or another and uh, to me that's very interesting because again it just reminds me I always have to go back to my childhood and revisit these versions of myself and see what they're up to and try to talk to them and uh, you do these uh, exercises, you go and you hug your childhood self, but then you try to have you even go and you can hug to, you know, my dad when he was beating me or my mom when she was having a manic depression and she was just really nasty, you know, and mm -hmm. I have these conversations and time starts to break down and I start having compassion for my childhood self and my parents and, you know, people, the person who sexually abused me, you know, you start having this sort of return to middle earth or return to another world, but you're yeah. in control because they're all part of you. And that's fine. I mean, they're really all, it, it happened in the past, but these things are part of you now. They're part of the grand drama within you. And that's fine. Cause you're still in control. You just have to be, instead of an idiot demiurge, like we've been talking, you've got to be a, kind and loving Sophia descending into the underworld. Yeah. Uh, fucking a man. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, and you know, without, like I said, without coming to terms with these things, I, I, I wouldn't be who I am today. And nowadays, you know, this is why I have a show that's so oriented towards the darkness because it's, it's not about, you know, some sort of deification of things that are corrupt and dark and evil no. or whatever it's if anything you know it's a it's a few different things firstly i appreciate someone that is authentic 
And I, I think that the, the more, the glitzier you are, the less authentic you are nine times out of 10. And, um, I appreciate people who have been willing and mindsets that are willing to, uh, leave everything on the table. You know what I mean? And that's, uh, Gnosticism is, is, it does that more than so many others. So let me ask you this, uh, let's, there's a, there's a good take on um, existential horror and talking about the history a little bit. Um, Cause I don't really know enough to, I don't even know if I could give an educated guess, honestly, but in terms of the carryover, there's always that debate between the East and the West, you know, who was talking to who in ancient history, what kind of trade routes were going on. It seems like Gnosticism. And again, you could certainly say archetypally, where do you even draw the line with it? But you know, just for the fun of conversation, it seems like Gnosticism carries so much of that almost Taoist, Buddhist, that heavily Eastern mentality into the West. And if it's not on purpose, I, I guess it just shows the power of archetypes themselves. What do you guys think about that? That's one way to do it. I think we have, we can't, something that people make a mistake, and that's probably some sort of colonizing mentality. We still remember, uh, Persia had this amazing culture and empire right around the time when Buddhists and Taoism and these other things uh, arose. And so, and then you had the Egyptian mystery. So Persia was like this bridge. And sometimes I feel there was a place where this fusion really happened and these high level ideas were able to go back and forth. So uh, I don't know about chicken or egg uh, because yeah, like you said, sometimes uh, as I talked about at the beginning of the interview, these Gnostic ideas, uh, which happened in the East, but uh, I talked about the West, Plato's Cave and Ahura Mazda. And for me, these ideas just come up from the collective unconscious because right. I think and when people are honest, yeah, we are in a prison. We are in a simulation. And uh, there are certain entities, whether they're in the government or in the heavens, that are basically feeding off of us that are probably maybe engineered as to who we are and you know the gnostic cosmogony itself is a display of the different uh different archetypal um, essences so to speak each aeon represents a certain type of archetype so in fact you know archetype literally means you know the arch is the the, the head or the primordial so to speak the root so the root types, kind of like Plato's forms almost. So there you go. Exactly. Well said. Well, um, we're getting closer. We're not quite done yet. We're getting closer to the end of uh, the program here. So um, I want to ask you guys for fun. Um, firstly, movies in general. Do you have any horror movies you'd like to recommend to people? They don't have to be cosmic or Gnostic, although it does help if they are. Mm, good one. In my head right now, if you want, uh, again, I like a good horror movie with a good metaphysics. Mm -hmm. What's that movie you recommend I really like called The Void? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a, it's, it's such a gory and it seems like such a nihilistic movie. But the ending, those 60 seconds, kind of, when it kind of reveals the whole hermetic, uh ancient egypt alien it just like redeemed the entire movie or really gave it context so that's the kind of movie i like that it's not just nihilistic like uh what's the other one blue mountain or black mountain which was 
very good, but we still well, Black uh, Mountain Side. Yeah, yeah, yeah that one. Those are two oh, great a, movies, man. <laughs> they are terrifying. Yeah, if you like low, but yeah, they are terrifying. But they do have a little bit of metaphysics. Uh, mm-hmm. for, in my head, probably um, the series of Netflix Midnight Mass is one of my favorite ones because it's so spiritual and it's so dark and it. Even as it shows the corruption of the Catholic Church, it shows the beauty of the Catholic Church at the same time. And it was just, uh, and it's not even that scary, I would think. Uh, It's got a few jump scares and it doesn't even have that much gore. But that was, uh, in the last year, that's definitely one of my... uh, most favorite ones although again this is halloween season this is usually the time i start to catch up on all the horror movies likewise what about you vance well um i got a few of them uh i don't haven't been watching horror movies lately but uh unless you count twin peaks there's <laughs> a lot of horror yeah, oh no, yeah no doubt oh yeah but um one of my favorites from long ago is john carpenter's prince of darkness just the mood that it sets, you know, it, it's kind of subtle, you know, it's not, doesn't have monsters all over it, except towards the end, it's, it gets really intense. But, uh, you know, I, I always, I always dug that because of the, because of the vibe and the dreams, you know, from the future. That's cool. Uh, Constantine, always like, you know, a good old Neo. Around. <laughs> That's a <laughs> one great best, one. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best portrayals of Satan there, there is, they say. Uh, Devil's Advocate. Definitely a horror oh, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know that's uh, you know, love love that one. And that's then a um, Pacino, right? Yes, Al yeah. Pacino. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this this one people don't think of as a horror movie, but it really was Forbidden Planet. And because it's science fiction mostly, but it's also a horror movie, and it's you know a, a kind of a morality story, and it's a warning to the future. What happens if mankind could get his dreams and be able to create anything you want to create? So those are some of my favorites. Yeah, those are good. A lot of Keanu Reeves in that, a lot of Gnostic themes in those movies for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think recent movies, uh, I would also uh, suggest the Richard Stanley's Color Out of Space with Nicolas Cage. Oh, yeah. Uh, Amanda Radcliffe was, a was a, an advisor or mutual right. guest and friend. And uh, I was like, my God, finally somebody did a good Lovecraft adaptation. I don't think I can't... Uh, I can't remember how long it's been. I mean, I no know kidding. It's like finally something good. So, Radio Free Albemuth. Um, it's a Philip K. Dick story. I mean, like very faithful to the original book. You know, that's what the 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 story that Vallis was derived from. The original story that was rejected by the publishers. Interesting. But, uh, definitely, uh, definitely a kind of a political horror story, so to speak. Yeah, Kafkaesque. Yeah, there's nothing scarier when somebody knocks out your door to arrest you or take all your stuff away. That's the worst. Yep. I mean, it's that scary. Yeah, and maybe next time um, I, I have you guys on, we we could talk about um, Philip K. Dick among other things because that is that man just if <laughs> uh, if you count like the nonfiction, just the philosophizing he did, he wrote and produced so much like i think it's safe safer to call the man a philosopher even more than he was just like a a science fiction author even though he was both and and uh that's a whole rabbit hole there so i won't get you guys stoked up too much (laughs) self-proclaimed gnostic yep (laughs) no kidding yeah 
Yeah, so and I'm afraid I'm agnostic. You know? <laughs> yeah, and he was just so so forward about things, and like he was very open without being sensational, and he was just willing to talk about outlandish stuff in a very matter of fact, um, calculated way that wasn't um, um, too decided, even. And yeah, definitely not just in his art, but in his outlook on life and the way he carried himself, definitely an inspiration for me as well. Um, but you know, um, in terms of horror movies, um, worth mentioning, especially cause it's got its own Gnostic themes. And I don't think I've ever brought this up to you guys. I watched it not this season, but I watched it like a few months ago. It was, Oh, what's the name? Brightburn. Have you guys seen that with the evil Superman? Oh. Oh. No, just looking at it today, actually, in a sink, because I remember I was like, Anthony's going to talk about these horror movies. And then I remember you did mention it and I was oh, looking yeah. at it. So uh, I was like, maybe I'll watch it tonight. Uh, I'll see. Yeah. I watched you- the first episode of Dahmer or whatever it's called, and it's pretty good. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I didn't. I didn't think it, it's not gratuitous serial killer stuff. It's actually deeper than that, so that's nice. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, Brightburn, you liked it? Oh yeah. In terms of, um, it was just a very well executed horror movie. That's a kind of horror movie I never thought I would actually see. And it's some of the wow. benefits of um, superhero movies receiving so much attention, just gobs and gobs of it, is because I, I apparently big, um, you know big studios are willing to just throw money at anything with a superhero in it. Because if anyone, whoever doesn't know this movie, Brightburn is a horror movie like through and through. And the whole premise, you know, unapologetically, like very clearly is about Superman, you know, so you keep crash lands and it's about his childhood. And um, it's the same, the same unfoldment. They try to hide it from him for a while. They try to teach him morality and responsibility. Don't use your powers. Don't let other people see, and don't also don't abuse them. But realistically, it's so gnostic because if Superman, if that was a real thing, there's no fucking way that some completely different humanoid alien being would crash land to Earth with un with, with complete god powers and be like, yeah. I'm going to respect the wishes of these lowly human, you know, apes. <laughs> like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to protect them because I really like what they got going on here, even though they're highly flawed and super easy to manipulate. And I can punch them into jelly, like with one punch. And, right, right. and dude, so little tiny Superman, he starts figuring out that he can abuse these powers. I won't spoil anything. I'll just entice everyone listening that hasn't seen this before. He starts doing the most horrific shit you could imagine like stalking people, uh, torturing people. Um, and it becomes this truly Lovecraftian nightmare of what happens if a God crash lands to earth demiurge style and just starts fucking just, just using people truly like it's, um, very reminiscent of that twilight zone episode where that kid Uh has omnipotent powers. You mentioned that earlier in the episode and that is just, um, that premise yeah, or, uh, so yeah, fascinating. Or Home, Homelander and the boys is the same. He's so yes. such a great villain because he said he's just this immature, narcissistic, petulant child that feels he could, that, and we're just like animals to him. Not even animals, we're like insects. Yeah. 
Hey, the infancy gospels, right? Of Jesus. <laughs> you ever read those? Yeah, the Thomas, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that's a whole other thing. What do you guys, uh, closing comments, because, I mean, you brought it up, and that's a fascinating thing, the whole gospel of Thomas. Like, what do you think about, um, as a final historical sentiment on Gnosticism here and now, um, how were all these, like, apocryphal Gnostic Abrahamic texts, like, do you think they were written before or after? Like, as I know, there's the Dead Sea Scrolls involved. Like, do you think... How much of this was written contextually and how much of this actually laid the foundation for like Abrahamic Christian thought and was just kind of swept under the rug because it was inconvenient? Oh, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, it was really a part of the different communities. I mean, people didn't have the internet. So you had all these different Christian communities because and they all not would to like, cut, I don't want to cut you off, but I just wanted to say, because I forgot to say it. Gospel of Thomas, that's the brother of Jesus, correct? Well, Thomas we the get, twin. Right. Yeah, because yeah, his name is Didimus Thomas, and Didimus means twin. Thomas is twin in Aramaic. So right. and obviously in the Gospel of Thomas, it's actually, it's obvious the the big reveal or the twist is that it's one person with two voices. One's a higher self, the Christ, the other one's the, the mortal man. So uh, it is sort of this uh, conversation between these two beings. Interesting. Interesting. I think that the gospel of, and I think all the scholars disagree with me, but I think the gospel <laughs> of Thomas became, came before the corresponding, uh, you know, uh, pieces of the sayings that appear in, in the canonical gospels. Because when I read that, for the first time, I said, you know what? That's what this means. You know, that's the rest of it. It's like, oh, yeah, when you see the rest of it, you know what it, it makes sense. You know what he was talking about, you know, and, and you have to have some sort of spiritual background to understand that. But that's what I think. I, th I think it was as primal. It's almost like part of the Q document or something. Um, I know probably scholars disagree with me, but I feel that in my heart. John um, Munter wouldn't disagree with you from our group. No, no, he, he, makes, he has a good argument. He, he has got a very good scholarly argument. For this. All right. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a case to be made there. Um, and the jury's not out uh, one way or the other. But, um, yeah, that's... that's uh, why, and it, it is hard right now. I mean, it's almost like even secular scholars are like, you know, right now the dating is hard. We still have years of textual comparison and translations and other so and that's why a lot of new testament scholars won't even touch the gnostic gospels because they just don't know about the dating they're like could be late second century but it could possibly be middle of the first century so it's uh right now it's still a big uh big unknown as far as uh unlike the other gospels the canonical yeah and listeners to anyone that um um like <laughs> to anyone who is particularly new to the sentiment of Gnosticism, because I do have a pretty uh, diverse group of listeners here um, on our little pirate radio broadcast. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool to see people as young as 17 to their sixties, like consistently um, and uh, more than just a couple of you. So I don't know how y'all made it here, but um, um, it, uh, the, the idea it's, you know, it, the whole idea of um, existential horror in and of itself is um, something that is pretty inescapable. And um, uh, the more, 
the more you tackle it head on, like I've been saying, I, I think the better off you'll be. And um, I think that was a good point um, as well. Like just the idea of the different communities, there's no, uh, you know, welcome to the tangled rat's nest. If you are, uh, the, if, if you were particularly new to this, because Gnosticism is um, not a simple answer. It's not a simple answer in terms of what exactly it is, in terms of what exactly or where exactly it came from, who you know started doing it first. It's all we we can find a lot of meat to sink our teeth into when answering all these questions, but nothing is completely clear cut. Um, but to me, that's that's again one of the things I love about it so much. The more decentralized, if you will, like a spiritual school of thought or tradition is the more I gravitate towards it. It's why I like things like Taoism and Buddhism, Hermeticism, Gnosticism. So even when these things are organized, um, they, they have a built-in like hardwiring to push back on that. And um, I, yeah, I'm always going to love that. Like that, that will always be my calling card there. So. Yeah. And um, I think all the ones you mentioned have this bottom line that we're all connected. Yes. And we're all in this together and we all can shine. And that's something uh, that's something they all agree on. We're connected, but we're not handcuffed to each other. <laughs> Amen to that. Well, um, seriously, though, guys, I, I it's been a real pleasure um, for those that don't know, like, you know, Miguel and Vance, they've been very kind to me throughout the very beginning. Like I, I remember sending them when I first put out dive manual, just kind of reached out to Miguel out of nowhere um, and sent him a book and, you know, he actually read it and then he actually got back to me and then he actually, you know, got me on his show. And we, the three of us have been, been friends ever since. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful. You guys are just cool people. And, you know, without tooting your horns too much, like you guys are a little inspirational for, for the young guns out there. Cause like I said, you've been doing it. Um, you have something to show for it in terms of just, a certain level of, of contentment in your lives. You're both not, you know, living in a van down by the river, <laughs> destitute, <laughs> you're doing all right, man. And um, um, yeah, so don't, don't let yourself get crushed um, underneath the boot of existential horror. Cause it will be out there. Um, and also don't be afraid to have unanswered questions. So if you're asking questions that pertain to something like Gnosticism you're going to get into murky territory and it's all part of the experience. It's all part of the, uh, the process. Um, so, yeah. um, it's an Aeon, experience. Yeah. Live in the question, the experience, the mystery of life. Say. Um, Aeon bite Gnostic radio. Um, where is, is there any, um, written work, uh, that you guys would like to plug anything else, any recent shows that you've done guest spots anywhere that you'd like to talk about real fast. <clears throat> No, just uh, go to the website or the podcast. It's all there. Yeah, we don't. Uh, <laughs> we're so old, we can't even remember our last interview, right, man? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it becomes a problem after you know <laughs> six years of hanging out on the show. Yeah. But yeah, tune into Aeon Byte Live too, where you can actually participate on YouTube and other places. Exactly. Yeah, these guys are always pushing out interesting content, and they're real consistent, which is also something that. Uh, that I really respect. But anyway, guys, I'm going to stop tooting your horns. You, uh, you have a happy Halloween season. Thank you so much for coming on. And I really look forward to the next round, having you both here. 
You bet. Cool. My pleasure. And yeah, uh, happy Halloween. Embrace your inner Cthulhu. <laughs> Sooner or later, I'll hound you guys about uh, getting back on your show too. But I've been, sure. I've had my hands full um, trying to start up this own operation here. And it's been pretty fun. I really like having the ability to have the people that I've made connections with come on my show so I can steer the conversation a little bit. So yeah, it was cool to have the tables turned. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, and for those listeners out there, don't forget you've been listening to Black Hoodie Alchemy. I've been here with Miguel and Vance of Aon Diagnostic Radio. Y'all take it easy. Spit the fire on these vultures, told me go to hell, oh well Reppin' for the culture, effervescent life, shining light Spirits in the water, moonshine, never on the mic Death before the sauna, devil salted science Got to be steady, multiplying Nobody questioning the wisdom of a starving lion My heart is iron, strongest giants ain't as hard as I am You can't change the world, nothing wrong with trying Nothing wrong with dying, righteous on the road to Zion Your mama crying, flooded eyes, dripping, no replying No complying with the system, victims wanna riot we write the wrong storming castles with the ultraviolence We never silence in the war zone, it's them or us The venom plus, exit pigs, brain with metal bus One in the temple trust, leaving tiny mental crust Ash to ashes, return to elemental dust Yeah, yeah Cold as with the storm We shiver in arms, I'm bitter and calm Strong and hard, bad, sympathy long gone The bomb critically gone wrong Vividly on, physically crumb Spitting these thong songs lyrically Simply strong, mimicking hard stars Gimmicking all stars, finicking, sickening all Ligaments listening all Trigger the bomb, bigger the dawn Sipping the slip, bigger we all Ligaments the drum Bigger the dawn, bigger to all Mainstream, fame, dream, kings involved Lyrics of flaw Slipping the fog, a lost cause Frost beaten by dogs, slitting his wrist Calm, withering all, while y'all bickering on We know, conspicuous, meticulously armed In Lebanon the veteran leader like Megatron with the metal bomb to blow up the Pentagon. Let's get it on. Like Arnold, you getting terminated, laser beam commit through the eyes, you looking mutilated. My iris state mutated, yes, it mutated. Optic blast for the flash here, you getting amputated. I'm seeing things like Edgar Casey being fascinated with the future. Can't let my present get confiscated. Devastated by the words and the cross. Got to pushing up crazy, seeing more flowers in the force. All aboard the soul train, you go missing like a course. Reloading magazines, you tapped into the source. On tracks of saddle, watching all them satellites fall. Are you hating motherfuckers? Kiss my dragon sized balls. I'm gassed up, that's right, pissing out ethanol. My approach to making music like throw balls to the skull. Planting C4s on the walls of City Hall. <laughs>